Hi, I'm Amy Porter. Some of you know me as a flutist and a classical musician, others as a professor, and some of you know me as a publisher and arranger. I'm a stepmom, I'm a business owner, and I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. And this is my podcast. My core mission as an entrepreneur is to appreciate what I have around me. And then I try and see as clearly as possible how I can help. So let's talk. Let's share information. Let's laugh and sometimes cry over the things that we have to work through in life and in music, in business and family and relationships. Come on into my Porter Flute pod. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod, Episode 16, Performance Therapy, Behind the Screen. With me co-producing is Justine Sedke and Alan J. Tomasetti. And joining in on the conversation about auditions is Marie, or Mimi, Tashaway, Principal Flute of the Lyric Opera of Chicago. Elise Henry, Second Flute in the L.A. Philharmonic. And Kelly Zimba, Principal Flute of the Toronto Symphony. They are all alumni of the... School of Music, Theater, and Dance here at the University of Michigan. So in 2002, Mimi was a freshman in my flute studio. And then in 2005, when she was becoming a senior, Elise came in as a freshman. And then in 2008, when Elise was a senior, Kelly came in as a freshman. They will tell their stories and their reactions about auditioning for an orchestra or an opera job and let us know their advice to make it through. In their honor, I went to the vault and I found excerpts from Debussy's Afternoon of a Fawn with Christopher Harding on piano. This is the arrangement by Gustav Samelzy. It's published by Jobert. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you're here. Mimi, welcome to Porter Flute Pod. Did you know you wanted to play in an orchestra in high school? For sure. I knew, I think the first time I really knew I was in a youth orchestra that um, was conducted by Hugh Edwards. I don't know if he's listening to this somewhere, but um, we played Shostakovich's 10th Symphony, which is pretty crazy when you look back, just that a youth orchestra would be playing Shostakovich and Ludoslowski, and which we did. But that experience, I think I was 15. I just knew that I, I, it wasn't even the experience of playing principal flute or you know, playing any solos, but just sitting in the middle of that mass of sound um, was so exciting and so breathtaking. I knew that there was really nothing else that I could envision doing. Elise Henry, so did you know in high school that you wanted to be in an orchestra? No, not really. I knew I enjoyed it. I played in the Houston Youth Symphony the last two years that I was in high school and I played in our local um, symphony in the, the high school. Um, I was mainly focused in, on band at that point. I grew up in Texas and so the band programs were so strong and just really um, more robust than the orchestral experiences were. Um, so I really got into band more I didn't know necessarily that that's what my focus was going to be. I knew that I enjoyed it enough to pursue it outside of school. Um, But I was definitely open to a lot at that point, just trying to soak in and learn whatever I could from whomever I could. I guess I, I realized at the end of my junior year that I wanted to pursue flute in college. So 
I get that's a little late compared to a lot of other people. And I didn't start playing flute until sixth grade and couldn't read music until sixth grade. So both things happened, I, I think, a little bit on the later, a later end for me. I just want to officially welcome you, Kelly, to this podcast. Did you know that you wanted to play in an orchestra in high school? Um, you know, I didn't really know until I was maybe a little bit older, maybe 16, 17. Um, and I, I grew up in Pennsylvania and I was in uh, one of the PMEA all-state orchestras uh, my junior year of high school. And it was at that moment that I, I realized, wow, this is really fun. I would love to do this for a living. But I also was very interested in teaching. And so I, you know, that was one of the reasons I picked Michigan as a school because I knew, you know, that it had a really strong education and performance component to it. And they, you know, really encourage students to do, you know, pursue multiple avenues. And so I wasn't sure that I, I, I wanted to perform, you know, as a job, but I knew it was something that I loved. Um, but I also wanted to try a lot of different things. So getting a master's, was it necessary for taking auditions and winning a job? I think, I think for me it was because, as I mentioned before, it just, when I started, you remember when I started with you, I was like so shy. I, I think I needed that extra time to just develop and come out of my shell a little bit. I was fortunate in that my bachelor's and my master's, because I studied with you and then with Jeannie Baxter, sir, they were very seamless. It was almost just like an, an elaboration and a continuation of the journeys. They were very melted together. So it was so organic. Um, I think another thing about getting your master's is also being in a period of education where you don't have so many academic requirements, like your job and your master's degree is to practice, to master your instrument, you know, you have requirements, but the course load is much less than it was for my bachelor's. So, which, you know, speaks a lot for the institution where I got my bachelor's, that it was challenging. Um, but it was really nice to have all those hours to practice that I didn't have, or that I had to work very hard to make sense. I also think, you know, I think a large part of it for me was doing summer festivals throughout all of my years. And you were so great in, about encouraging that and helping me get into those festivals. Um, but just the broader experience of playing with a larger net of people over time really develops a lot of skills. So can you talk about the master's degree and how important it was to you? Yeah. So my master's degree was in orchestral performance at the Manhattan School of Music, and I studied with Robert Langevin, who's the principal of the New York Philharmonic. And that was important to me because I, I felt like I wanted more specific guidance. I feel like I got a really strong foundation at Michigan, and um, I loved that orchestral excerpts were a part of my training, and performing in an in a amazing orchestra was part of my training and band. Um, but once I realized that I that's what I enjoyed doing the most over chamber music, over solo playing, over teaching, I, I wanted to pursue that specifically further um, for a number of reasons. I, I was interested in living in New York City for the opportunities that I could get as a freelance player, um, as a teacher. I was interested in studying with someone who was actively playing and performing in an orchestra um, and all of the, you know, all of the ties that that brings with it, um, for sure. And then I was interested also in focusing specifically on 
full orchestra parts and orchestra readings and and everything you know encompassing the degree so in the degree I didn't do as much solo performing and solo learning of etudes and uh, solo flute pieces but we focused primarily on learning entire flute parts to orchestral pieces specifically the more challenging ones so instead of only knowing the excerpt and the short little you know the short number of measures that they'll ask in an audition, we would learn entire parts. And I feel like that gave me a really much better understanding of the piece. And I think that it's really, really essential to play the entire part and listen to the full piece, especially if you've never played it in orchestra before. It's really the only way that you will give the illusion that you know what you're doing and you know and understand what's happening around you and that you're competent enough to win and to play well in an audition where those behind the screen expect that you, they expect a certain level and they expect that you, that you know the music. So I thought that that was very valuable. Um, and it was nice to have time that was just focused specifically on that. Do you feel it was necessary for you to have a master's degree to play in an orchestra? Uh, for me personally, uh, yes, I did learn a lot in my master's degree. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't say it's a blanket statement for everybody. Um, I think it depends, you know, kind of what your goals are and what your experiences prior were like. Um, something I really appreciated where, you know, in my undergrad, you know, I feel like Michigan was the type of school that exposes you to, you know, many, many different options um, and many different facets of the music industry. And you just have this, you know, so many things at your fingertips. Um, and I was able to explore all of that. Whereas during my master's, it was more like, okay, I sort of narrowed down what I wanted to do. Um, and that was kind of my primary focus during those two years. So I could really hone those skills a little bit more um, intensely there. Um, but I also, you know, I felt like my time at the New World Symphony was also really valuable. Um, and that orchestra experience every week and really just pretty much feeling like I was sitting in the job um, was, was so valuable. And so I think, yes, for me, those two things were, were essential to feeling prepared for this job. The resume round, not getting past the resume round. What was that like for you? Because there is that step where I could have the best master's student in the world, but they have no experience in the, on the major stage. They might have a local Michigan orchestra and a couple of music festivals. So what is it like in your heart to be rejected at the resume round? Um, it's tough, obviously, rejection in a lot of different levels is something we deal with as we take auditions or apply for jobs, you know, in academia, that kind of thing. Um, it's something that musicians have to deal with, I think, in a much more personal way than a lot of other careers. 
I remember I actually didn't start taking auditions that young. I think I took one local audition when I was with you. Um, and then I really started taking them as like a second full-time student job when I was in my master's. Um, I remember auditioning for the Boston Symphony and my resume definitely did not make it. Um, but they had a taped round and my taped round got passed and luckily doing well in that audition kind of, I think helped pad my resume a little bit, but you know, you hear of auditions all the time where, you know, a really young student advances into the semis and all these professional players don't. So I think it's just important for players not to get too discouraged to build their little support network that can help write letters if they need and not to be discouraged by tape rounds. I know making a tape is really laborious. It's something that none of us love to do probably, but I think your playing can speak for itself. So just, you know, don't write something off just because you have to send a tape. That would be my advice. Your resume wasn't accepted. What did that feel like? Really overwhelming to me because at that point, I was in a degree focused on orchestral performance and my teacher's telling me, take all these auditions, you have to take auditions. And I'm thinking, well, how do I take auditions if they won't let me? Where do I start? What do I do? And at that point, I'd even had some orchestral experience. I had played in a handful of professional orchestras, but it didn't seem to be enough for those resume screeners at that caliber of orchestra. For the principal flute audition, they wanted someone who had had actual, had the position and had actual orchestra experience. Maybe not principal flute, but had held a position, which I didn't have. So it, you know, it was really frustrating because I, I wanted to be a part of the process and I felt rejected outright before that process even started, which was frustrating. But luckily, I think most orchestras, if you appeal, they will give you a spot. It might not be your ideal date or time, but they will make room for you. You just have to know that them by the committee saying your resume is not, hasn't been accepted. They're kind of advising you. They're advising you that you might not do well in their eyes. They don't think that you would do well enough to win the job. Not to say that you wouldn't or that you couldn't, um, but that's just their professional opinion. So it's navigating all of that is the first step, but it's a, it's an important step. At the end of the day, I'm all for giving everyone a chance. Of course, at a certain point, we have to screen resumes. And I've been on the audition committee for the Los Angeles Philharmonic for four years. So half my time in the orchestra, I was on the audition committee. And I have been in charge of screening resumes. So I've had that other side experience of being the screener. And you simply can't accept everyone who would like to apply, um, particularly for an instrument like the flute or the violin, uh, where there's just a lot of applicants because there are too many. I think the last flute audition that I was um, a panel member on and screened resumes for, there were over 300 applicants. And so at a certain point, you do have to start somewhere. But um, I, I always advocate for appealing if you, your resume doesn't get accepted and if you feel strongly like you would like to take that audition. Um, I think it's really important to hear everyone that is interested in taking the audition. And I think that their playing on all of the days of the audition says a lot more than their resume.
does. And I, I am a really firm believer in that. And I feel like our, we can talk more about this later, but I think that our audition process is moving more towards that side of things organizationally um, than the, than being so resume heavy or, you know, uh, prior job heavy. So I think everyone deserves a fair shot. Um, there's a lot to be said for, for someone who is older and has the experience um, and understands the repertoire and how, how to fit in personally and professionally and musically in an orchestra. And there's a lot to be said about someone who's young and able to more used to molding and is a sponge and is really extremely open-minded from being in school and also probably performing really well in auditions just because of the sheer number they're taking. I think it's hard to jump into auditioning when you have a job, a family, I mean, even just a job, it's hard enough because you're, you're playing so much and you don't have the number of hours that someone in school has to work on the repertoire and the, the music. It's just a totally different experience. Um, but I think staying open-minded until the very end and then really asking yourself the questions of who, who will fit into this orchestra? What are we looking for? Who is going to complement the sound and the section that's already here? Those are important questions, but I wouldn't want to discount anyone too soon in the process. So I think like how I presented myself was maybe something that um, I, I paid a lot of attention to in this because I knew that I, you know, I looked young and I didn't want to seem like I had all this experience, but I also didn't want to act like I was just coming out of school. So trying to find that, that middle balance, like, you know, from, you know, how I spoke, what I wore, um, how I interacted with people, all of that was, were things that I really considered. I talked about ageism with Mimi and Elise, and they both are now looking at resumes. And we can have a 45-year-old who has a lot of experience up against a 19-year-old who doesn't have the experience in the seat, Mm -hmm. um, but is moldable, according to some conductors uh, that I've heard. So what is your thought on the resume? And you just now said, wow, I really made myself fit kind of in between those two types of people. And and the other ladies were also in agreement that there should not be an ageist attitude in looking at a flutist for an orchestra job. And yet, it exists. And you played the game. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I can't agree more. I think, you know, age really doesn't matter. Um, experience, you know, it might matter, but I think, you know, if you're young uh, versus if you have more experience, it's wise of an orchestra if they see a lot of potential or if they see something in you that they really love. Um, I personally think it's wise for them to give you a chance either in a trial period or, you know, that's why we have these probation periods as well. And so um, you just never know. You don't want to close the door on somebody just because, you know, lack of experience um, might make you question their ability to sit in the chair. When you auditioned for the Chicago job, which would be the lyric opera job, principal flute, did you audition once and then win the job? 
Um, yes, meaning the audition was held once. Um, my predecessor had her position for almost 40 years, so um, it was first advertised the time that I took the audition. Okay, and then how many times did they hear you? They heard me three times, I believe. Um, there was a prelim round, which is very, all the rounds felt very standard. You know, nothing weird happened. There were no surprises, no crazy amount of super finals or anything. I just played a prelim. I came back to Chicago one week later, and then semis were, I think, in the morning, and the finals, just one round of the finals was in the afternoon. I think the audition ended by five. It was not nearly as drawn out as other auditions that I had done. And when you were doing that audition, was it different from all the other auditions? Did it feel like this is my time, this is my space, or did it feel like it could have been anyone and you just felt like you had won the lottery? I think it was a little bit of both. I think every time I took auditions and got near the end, you know, you have that hope and you have that feeling, especially as the odds dwindle, you know, when there's fewer and fewer people left in the audition, you get that sense like, oh, maybe this will be the one, maybe this will be it. I'm not sure that I felt that so much in the lyric audition, but I did feel a different sense of being more in a performance rather than a test. I felt like I was liberated to really enjoy the music versus other times where I felt like I had to please other people. So I think that was more the key difference there. Okay. So the mindset that you had internalized over time probably just all kicked in that day. Yeah, I think so too. I think at the time also I was playing a lot of opera. Most of my freelance work after school actually was opera. So I think I really just felt felt the music in a more impactful way than I had previously. Talk about what it was like to audition for the LA Philharmonic and and did it take you several, you know, uh several tries were you here for several weeks? Like what happened? It took me three tries. The first audition that I took for the LA Phil, my resume didn't even pass the pre-screening round. So that was a little bit of a shock, but not completely surprising since I didn't have any professional work before then. I recontacted the personnel manager and sent with it a letter from my then teacher, Robert Langevin, um, kind of vouching for me. And eventually, a few weeks later, I did end up getting a spot, which I was very happy about. So I got into the actual live audition, and the whole experience was just very surreal, like all my other audition experiences prior. But that one, I think it was surreal just because of the level of the orchestra that I knew, the the level that I knew the orchestra was at. And then also just arriving to the building, I remember being awed about because the 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 building Walt Disney Concert Hall that the LA Phil plays in is just beautiful gigantic it's it's an architectural masterpiece and just thinking like oh wow I have to go in there and play on the stage was a little bit daunting um but I had stayed with a really close friend and it was really nice to have that have someone welcome me into LA and to be able to spend my downtime with someone that I knew and feel welcomed um Yeah, so the audition just, it was really crazy. Again, going into the hall felt really surreal and such a beautiful space. And then when I got there, I was just really, 
I admired the level of professionalism that everyone there had and how smooth the audition went. Um, in all three times that I auditioned for them, it was like that. We had our own warm-up room in a dressing room backstage, so we weren't in a huge room altogether. We had our own space. Um, I never had to wait too, too long. We were given a number, and then there was a very systematic approach to how the audition went. So we would wait in the room. We would be led out to a hallway and sit right behind the stage, and then there was a little tuner where we could tune real quick to um, the pitch that the LA Field plays at, which is 442. So if you're coming from a different system, it was nice to kind of get that pitch set up, started, and then you would walk out on stage. If you've never played on that stage before, or even if you've played on that stage, but you've never played solo on a stage before, the experience of getting used to the acoustic happens while you're playing the audition. So that's another adjustment that you have to immediately make. Um, but logistically, that all of the auditions went very smoothly. Um, I felt really good about them. The first audition, I made the semifinals and then was cut off in the second round. That was for principal flute. The second audition I took was for second flute, and I didn't make it past the first round. And I remember the first excerpt they asked was uh, Mother Goose, the opening to the Mother Goose Suite, the second flute solo, which is fitting for an opening excerpt for an audition. It's the opening of the piece, but it was, I found it very, very difficult um, just to have this calm, you know, beautiful, open, full sound, and also being a bundle of nerves and trying to figure out the space and the, the acoustic and everything was very challenging for me. Um, so that first audition, I actually didn't advance at all, and they ended up not hiring anyone that year. So I came back almost a year later, and took the very same audition. It was the same excerpts, um, almost kind of the same order. I, I played I played Mother Goose again, and that audition went a lot better. So, and yeah, now I have my job. Was this the first time you auditioned for the Toronto Symphony? And if so, how many times did they listen to you? Um, yeah, so this was the first time that I auditioned for the Toronto Symphony, and it was kind of a, you know, from resume until the very end of, of receiving tenure, I would say, uh, took uh, almost two years, actually. So I sent my resume in August of 2016. And then I came for the, you know, preliminary semifinal final rounds uh, the following month at the end of September of 2016. And then I came for a trial period uh, in January of 2017, where I went on an, uh, an orchestra tour with the TSO to Ottawa, Montreal, and then ending in Toronto. So we performed three concerts. Uh, and then I also had to play during that week an in-orchestra excerpt audition where we went through you know, all of the excerpts that were on the list for that audition with the full orchestra present. So it was like, you know, you play Daphnis with everybody and then we moved to Fawn and then we moved to Leonore and, you know, just going through all of that with the orchestra. Uh, and then I did another stand-up audition uh, during that week just by myself as well with some piano, uh, chamber music with strings. And then um, I was offered the job uh, at the end of that week. And then it was, you know, in the Toronto Symphony, we have a two-year probationary period. Um, and so, you know, getting tenure reviews basically for those first two years, um, after that I was offered officially, I guess, <laughs> tenured member of, uh, the orchestra, 
um, at the end of, I think, April of 2019. So it was 2016 to 2019 was the time frame to, to finally really secure the job. I think it's really, people don't understand that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't understand that, I will say. So, yeah. You know, you, you're in the job, but it takes a couple of years to secure that job. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and every orchestra is different. So, you know, some have one year, some have, I don't know, maybe more than two. It really it really just depends on the the particular contract that you have or, you know, what how each orchestra operates. Preparations for that specific audition, was it different than the other auditions or did you follow the same pattern? Um, you know, I would say I, you know, I took this this audition you know, kind of in and around other auditions as well. Um, so I would say that the pattern was, was very similar, at least for the, you know, the first few rounds um, and preparing for that kind of stand-up audition. Um, when it came down to actually doing a trial with the orchestra, um, that was something that I maybe prepared a little bit differently. Um, I did, you know, kind of a bulk of my preparation was was listening really. So I knew all the time, like what was going on in the orchestra. I really, um, not that you don't do that for, you know, normal auditions or whatever, but I think especially in the trial period, um, you know, for a whole piece to really, really understand what's going on in the orchestra and who you're playing with all the time and just have such a, a foundational awareness of, of everything and know the piece so well is just very important because there's going to be, you know, I knew I was going to be thrown into an environment where I was nervous I didn't know anybody, you know, it was, it was going to be a lot to handle. So just that knowledge uh, was very helpful. And then also just, you know, kind of telling myself that even though I've never played with this orchestra before, I don't know how it's going to go, that I'm as prepared as I'm going to be. And like, it is what it is. So just go up there and do it. That's <laughs> what I would mentally kind of just say to myself. Yeah. You know, I've been in the finals before for other auditions and something that, um, kind of threw me off or would make me nervous was actually, you know, looking at the people, uh, you know, face to face who were really listening because I'm one of the people that actually really likes the screen. I like, you know, being anonymous back there. And then when that's taken down, uh, it actually would be sort of off-putting in a way. What is your advice to my studio? You know, keep practicing excerpts while in this lockdown and then come out the other side a better flutist? Definitely. Even if you're just practicing an excerpt, the amount of self-realization that can occur during that excerpt doesn't have any bounds. I think for me personally, I would rather play, I would rather practice an excerpt than sit down with a whole sonata because for me, it's much more manageable. They're smaller chunks and I can kind of go through this very in-depth analysis while I'm practicing the excerpts that could get overwhelming if you're considering, you know, a longer piece to work on. Um, Ms. Bashisher actually has a great new book out. I'm sure you've seen it. It's her second volume of the orchestral excerpts for flute. Um, it's wonderful. It has a lot of orchestral excerpts, but it also has a lot of opera excerpts. There's Rosen Cavalier, there's Magic Flute, a lot of things that 
are now actually standard for symphonic auditions. And I'm sorry, but some of those excerpts are harder than any etude I've ever played. And I love etudes as well. But I think there's just so much that can be done with those excerpts. Um, I'm still practicing them just because I miss it. I really get better when I delve into the excerpts and the colors that are in them. Talk about the that experience that you had when you kept getting close and you kept getting close and then you decided, I'm just going to put the flute down for a little bit. Can you talk about that? I think putting the flute down briefly was key for me. I think there are several components to doing well in an audition, one of which is all of the physical preparation that we go through to make sure that we are as consistent as possible. And obviously you have to be prepared. There's a certain level of preparedness that if you do not allow yourself, then you're not, you can't expect to do well. So beyond just putting in the hours, doing what, you know, what we're all told to do, practicing, playing for people. I think the mysterious component for me was the second part, which is letting go and trusting. And that took me a long time to figure out. Um, I think that I brought a lot of my critical thinking and anxieties in the practice room to the audition. And it's very easy to do because you're training your mind to be so critical and to think in certain ways when you're playing. You're playing, I was recording myself and then listening back and taking notes like I had heard myself playing in an audition. And you have to have this certain mindset, but I think... The trick is to be able to switch that off and play for the sheer love and, you know, sake of playing in the audition, which is so hard to do when you feel like you can't connect with the people on the other side of the screen and you don't know them and you're trying to play quote unquote perfectly. You know, it's just, it's very demanding. There's a lot being asked of you in a short amount of time. So it's a very tricky thing to figure out. And I think the more auditions you take, <clears throat> the more you kind of become understanding of what that means for you and what you need to do to find your calm place. And I think that's different for everybody. But the more experience that you can actually get feeling how it feels to walk on the stage and to be in the room behind the stage and to hear everyone playing around you and to just be in the audition process, I think that's where a lot of the key learning happens. But for me, I found that I just didn't turn off that part of my mind. And I was always critical and always thinking. And you're right about the, the internal dialogue where you, you're playing and you think, oh gosh, here's that part. It's coming up. It's really hard. And I hope it's good. Or, oh, I, I'm going to nail this. Or, oh, it's, this is going to be awful. I think that your self-talk is so important. So have getting to a place where you can either turn that off or turn it into positive self-talk and positive mantras is very important. Um, I think another key, key realization for me was that I, I had a friend and a fellow colleague who was taking one of the flute auditions in LA. I can't remember which one with me, uh, Matthew Reutstein, who plays in Houston and he was right before me and he walked off and I was right behind the stage waiting to go on. And he said, have fun. And here I am, like, I'm, I'm so nervous. I'm just trying to breathe and hope that I'm going to play in tune. And he says, have fun. And it kind of dawned on me that I should probably try to have fun. And that 
I don't know why I just didn't realize that before, but I think it really had a huge impact on the way that I played and the way that I played from that point on in auditions. So I don't know. I, and, and again, it might not work for everyone, but I think finding the positivity in whatever way you can and also finding a way to calm your body physically is so important. For me, um, when I'm warming up in the room backstage, I have to stop playing at a certain point because if I keep playing, not only will I get too tired, but I'll psych myself out. And so that goes back to trust. Like at a certain point, you know you put in the work and you have to trust that it will be there and that there's nothing more you can do. And you'll do much more for yourself if you can just relax and sit back and calm your body and your mind because that part of the process is just so important and it's harder in my opinion than learning the notes and being able to play consistently. So I would stretch. Um, I love to do yoga. So I would just like do yoga and do stretches in the room backstage. I would read a book. I think later on after I actually met the personnel manager that was coming in the room and Allie Phil, she says she remembered that I was doing that. And she thought it was really cool and kind of funny because everyone else was practicing and I was just sitting in a chair reading when she came in. Um, so for me, that that really helped. Um, but the whole the whole idea of letting go and trusting for me was the key. I, I, I've always been an over-preparer. So it was never a matter of, do I know this excerpt? Can I play it? I could play all of them, but can I, can I in this high pressure situation and not let my own mental hangups get in the way was the real battle. And I think another part of that, which um, really helped me in that my particular audition that I won was that summer, I had done a number of things to put the flute down, like just physical, actual physical distance from the flute, which also really helps. I think that summer I was feeling a little burnt out because that whole year prior, I'd been taking a lot of auditions. This was in my, my uh, master's degree at this point, and it was very audition focused, which was great, but I was feeling burnt out. I went on a trip to Europe with my friend, Emma Gerstein, who's now a second flute in Chicago Symphony. And we went all around Europe for two weeks and didn't bring our flutes. So that was the first break. We even talked about both taking the LA Phil audition when we got back and we said, yeah, we turned in our resumes, but we're not, I don't know if I'm going to do it. Like, we're not sure because we're not going to be ready. And here we are not playing flute at all. I don't know. Maybe I, the, 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 the conversation came up, which I think is funny now. I came home and then a week later I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters with my dad and one of my dad's friends and my brother. So I, again, didn't bring the flute. I was out in the wilderness for a week, um, which again was really good not to think about flute, not to be in New York City, not to be in school. But I did leave enough time when I came back about two or three weeks between that and the audition to get in decent enough shape. Like I'd say that's really for me what it takes to feel in shape wise enough. And it was the same music that it was the year before for the, the second fluid audition that nobody won. So I already knew the music. I had spent many, many, many hours playing. So again, it wasn't a matter of, I didn't know the excerpts. I just had to let go 
And I had to just trust that I knew. And I hadn't allowed myself to do that until this summer that I unintentionally did that and then realized later what good it did for me. So I think I was forced to do that because I had limited time and all I had time to do was to get in really good shape again and touch them up. And that was it. What is your future like with the Toronto Symphony during this time of COVID? Uh, other than making online performances, are you going back to live? Um, so we are kind of working out something for this this season. Um, not all of the details are finalized yet. They should be in the next couple of weeks, I would say. Uh, but we are planning on doing some smaller scale live performances in different venues around the city. We're going to be doing a lot of educational outreach. Um, but so much of it is, you know, waiting and seeing kind of what the climate looks like. Um, you know, what are we going to be allowed to do? Not allowed to do with, you know, looking at health regulations and, and government guidance, things like that. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's safe to say that it's going to be a lot of, you know, smaller ensembles, unconventional venues. And, you know, in some ways it'll be harder for us as an orchestra, but, you know, it might also push us out of our, our comfort zone and, and, you know, get us doing some things that maybe are long overdue, to be honest. So. I'm delighted that three of my alum could come back and tell their recollections on this podcast. They each had personal goals that meant something to them, which was playing in a professional orchestra. It was a personal thing. It wasn't something they did for someone else. It fulfilled them and excited them. And I can tell you, they measured their progress and looked back specifically as to what worked when. And then they took action that took them closer to their goals. They took auditions in order to be actionable. Don't forget that dreams and goals are different. Dreams are goals with a calendar. That's what I always say. 
So no more excuses. Prepare for an audition behind the screen. Thanks for joining us in the podcast today. You can find more at porterflute.com or amyporter.com. On Facebook, I'm Amy Porter Flutist. And on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, I'm Porter Flute. I'm so grateful for you.